Nothing on the Bonnell Foundation's Living with Cystic Fibrosis podcast should be considered medical advice. Medical advice can only come from your CF physician. Cystic fibrosis can be a devastating diagnosis, but living with the disease can bring positivity and a new appreciation for each day. From the Bonnell Foundation in Detroit, Michigan, it's the Living with Cystic Fibrosis podcast, sponsored by Beatrice and Genentech. Here's your host, Laura Bonnell. CF and colon cancer, the risks are higher than you may be aware. Anna Payne is 35 years old and has stage 4 colon cancer. She wants to see and is advocating to get colon cancer screening down to age 25 for people with cystic fibrosis. She's in the fight of her life. I hope that this podcast reaches CF families that need to hear this and makes you an advocate. Anna, it's so great to see you as face-to-face as we could possibly be because we're in two different states. I have heard so many wonderful things about you. I've seen you on CFRI's stuff and we're in Andy Lippman's book together. So it's really great to, you know, meet you. Tell us about what your CF diagnosis was, and then we'll get up to speed on what you're doing today. Thank you for having me. I'm super pumped to be here today. I'm always astonished at how far we've come with technology and how we're able to communicate with individuals, uh, you know, across the state or even the country. So this is just really uh, awesome. And I'm grateful to be here. I was diagnosed with cystic fibrosis at birth. I'm now 35 years old. I consider myself lucky to have been diagnosed at birth uh, since there was, you know, in 1987, there wasn't a lot of treatments or medical advancements, but I was able to get access to whatever was available at the time and start getting treated early for CF instead of wandering around waiting to get diagnosed. I had meconiomelias when I was born, uh, so I had the surgery, and that's how they came to the conclusion that I had cystic fibrosis. Yeah, before newborn screening, before all of that um, was being tested for cystic fibrosis. So everybody's CF journey is different. It's either positive, negative, educated, you're an advocate, you're not, whatever. How was it for you and your parents? So I think like growing up, it was difficult. Uh, I was sick a lot as a child and then um, an adolescent in and out of hospitals. I would go like, I'd get like a stint of like four years where I'd be good. And then usually like at the four year mark, something would happen um, where I'd have to be hospitalized. My parents are divorced. They were divorced since I was like maybe six. I don't even know. And I know it's, it's stressful to have all of that going on, you know, a sick child and everything else. For me, I was never treated any different uh, than any of the other kids. I obviously grew up knowing that I had to take medicine and stuff like that. And, you know, I was able to make friends and I had a lot of friends growing up, which was helpful. You know, for me, I did learn at a young age, though, to advocate for myself because, you know, as much as like I would do all the same things everybody else in school was doing, you know, I still had to make sure I made it to the nurse to get my enzymes before lunch or (laughs) um, if I wasn't feeling good to let somebody know so I could either, you know, get dismissed early or something of that nature. So I think I was always very proactive in making sure that I had what I needed, even at, you know, middle school age, was that like 12? (laughs) I think that was helpful. You know, we've talked about this in other podcasts is the divorce rate for people who have chronically ill kids is pretty high. 
But I'm so glad that your parents, you know, worked it out and have brought you up to be such a wonderful advocate for cystic fibrosis. Thank you. I have to say that I have just been learning more and more about cystic fibrosis and colon cancer because of you, just because of your story. I talked to Daniel Ruin, who died of colon cancer and had cystic fibrosis. And that was something we talked about for years when he was going through this. And, you know, he just died a couple of years ago and he was saying, we have to raise awareness about this and tell us, you know, what you learned about colon cancer. Did you know how serious it was for people with cystic fibrosis? And in your 35 years, when did you become aware and start seeing a change? So I knew that we were at a higher risk, and that's why they had recommended that folks get colonoscopies at age 40. I didn't realize how high that risk was. I just knew it was higher uh, than the average person. So, you know, I was only 34 at the time when I got diagnosed with colon cancer. So in my head, that was like six years away. 40 is like when they the foundation recommends uh, screening for colon cancer, which is the screening process is a colonoscopy, uh, just so everyone knows. So in my head, 40 was like six years away, which is like how I'm sure the average person thinks about a colonoscopy in general when they recommend 50 or now they just change it to 45 because they're finding it in younger and younger individuals, unfortunately. But if you're 40, you don't have to get that done to 50. You're not really thinking about it at 40 because it's not something, oh yeah, okay, that's like later down the line. I knew that at 40, I'd have to get screened and I was fine with that. But I didn't know that the risk was five to 10 times higher, you know, than the average person. I think, you know, we've become so laser focused on the breathing issues and lung issues in the CF community, because that's usually what most individuals struggle with the most, that the other stuff is kind of just maybe I would say like on the back burner. It's like we know about it, but we're not super educating folks and we're not super cognitive of that all the time. And we're maybe not paying as close attention to that because, you know, we want to make sure we can breathe and transplant and all that stuff usually comes up before, you know, a colonoscopy screening at age 40. Now with the population, they just changed the age to 53. We're living longer and longer, which is amazing and wonderful. But we have to make sure that we're doing everything we can to make sure that we're letting folks live healthy, longer lives and not just waiting to get a second disease diagnosis. So I was diagnosed at 34 with colon cancer, stage four. You don't wake up with stage four colon cancer. That's not how it works. Um, Colon cancer is usually slow growing and can take 10 to 15 years to develop. So in theory, (laughs) if we're going by those statistics, I've was walking around with some stage of colon cancer for a very long time and had no idea. I got married. I bought a house. I ran for office. Colon cancer and I have done a lot together. We've accomplished a lot, but I had no idea. And then with Trikafta, I felt better than I had in 10 years. In what world would I think that I should get a colonoscopy sooner than 40? I feel amazing. (laughs) I'm gaining weight. I'm breathing better. You know, we were all locked inside because of a pandemic. But other than that, I felt fine. So I would have had no inkling to try and get screened any earlier. And 
to any doctor's credit, no doctor would have recommended me getting screened either. <laughs> so. Right. Absolutely not. It's only now, as I think, as you said, people in general are getting colonoscopies younger. And I think that the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation is reevaluating. I know there's a lot of advocacy to have them bring the number down to 30 so that people with CF are testing at 30 instead of 40 years old. What was, I mean, it had to be shock, but what was your reaction, your spouse's reaction, your parents' reaction, yours, obviously, when you got this diagnosis and how did it come about? So I was having some digestive issues and I would say like April or May of 2021. I'm not exactly totally sure of the month. And I thought like, this is weird. I've been feeling pretty good for like a year. I haven't had any issues. But I, I wrote it off at some point. I was like, oh, I guess I ate something that didn't agree with me. You know, that happens to everybody. We eat something that doesn't agree with us. That happens. Yes. And plus, digestive issues are huge CF norm. And that's the problem. Yeah, that's part of the problem. Like any symptom I've had, I didn't have until it was stage four. First off, um, I had some blood in my stool occasionally, but like I was told like that's hemorrhoids. I was like, oh, okay. What do I know? Okay. So that sounds sufficient. I wasn't having any other digestive issues. So I just assumed it was like hemorrhoids. Okay. Could we get in the DeLorean and say like, sure, had I had gotten screened the first time I saw blood in my stool, maybe I would have caught it a lot sooner. Of course. But like hemorrhoids are something that are super common that a lot of people have. If you're having no other symptoms, you probably wouldn't go get a colonoscopy just because you've had blood in your stool a couple times. Like it's just not a logical thing that you would kind of pursue in an aggressive way. Right. So I didn't start getting symptoms until 2021. And I thought, like, this is weird. Like, I don't really, whatever. So I approached my CF team and I was like, I'm having some issues. Like, maybe we could, like, and at this time, I was aware enough to be like, you know what? Like, why don't you just get the screening done and over with? The colonoscopy, yeah, it doesn't sound fun. But like, even just for the peace of mind to be like, okay, well, it's not that. And I had a trip planned and I was like, you know what? Whatever's wrong with me is going to be wrong when I get back from my trip. I'm not, like, deep down inside, I knew there was something seriously wrong. And I was like, but whatever it is, is going to be wrong when I get back from my trip. And I haven't been on vacation in six years and I'm going on a trip. Uh, so I went on my trip. I came back and I actually felt better after my trip. And I was like, oh, all right. But I still like kept the conversation up. they were like, you know, we'd have to fight your insurance company, we, but we could get you screened if you wanted. And I was like, OK, well, I seem to be all right now. So I'm not like super worried about it. In the meantime, I developed a mass like the size of a dime in my groin. And I was like, well, that's not normal. And so I went to the gynecologist because that's kind of, I figured, right. their expertise. Mm-hmm. She didn't know what it was. She sent me for testing and ultrasounds. Nothing alarming came up. They were like, it could be like a hernia or a cyst or, you know, like nothing. I was like, okay. But scheduled an appointment with a general surgeon. In the meantime, because, you know, this is America and nothing happens overnight here. In the meantime, the mass had become very large. Like it was growing. Like I was curious. I was like, is this like a chia pet in here? Like what is going on? Like are we watering it every day in the shower and you're just getting bigger? What, what is the deal? And at that time, some of the digestive things started to like, um, I was trying to like starting to put like two and two together. And I was like, okay, yeah, like you might not have some digestive issues, but you're not really eating. But like in the summer, that's kind of like my MO. I get hot. I'm not hungry. 
So at first I was just like, oh yeah, it's summertime. It's like July. It's hot. I'm not eating as much. And then once the mass started to grow, I was like, whatever this is has something to do with whatever is going on digestively. And unfortunately, I was not wrong. Um, I ended up having to get uh, a CAT scan because the general surgeon didn't really know what it was either. And I spent four days in the hospital. I did three rounds of go lightly because they were trying to clear a blockage because I did have a blockage. But I, of course <laughs> I did. I had a tumor that was blocking the exit facility from working properly. Um, I had to get an MRI and other ultrasounds some CAT scans till they finally decided on day four, which I had been asking from day two, to biopsy the mass. And I was like, yeah, okay. I was like, I understand nobody wants to say the, the C word, cancer. Because I'm only 34, but I'm telling you, like I am telling you that this is like I literally had a dream a month or two before that my CF doctor told me I had colon cancer. Wow. I'm like, until you tell me it's not, I'm telling you that's what it is. And unfortunately, I was right. And unfortunately, it was stage four. You know, like if you find colon cancer at stage one, two, and even three, it's better than stage four. Because even at stage three, they can usually get most of it through surgery. And kind of just you clean up chemo and you have to obviously be monitored. Obviously, finding cancer at any stage is not great. But with colon cancer specifically, if, especially if you find it in stage one or two, it's really not that big of a deal in comparison to stage four where, you know, at this point they biopsied it, came back positive and I got a PET scan. And that's when we discovered it's like the Dr. Seuss book, like, oh, the places you'll go. <laughs> it's like cancer it was like, mm-hmm. oh, the places I went. Look at me go. You know, liver, lymph nodes, that mass was my ovary, you know, so I had surgery. I had both my ovaries removed, uh, part of my colon resected, uh, a bunch of lymph nodes taken out. And I still, as of May, have four little guys left on my liver. So once it spreads that far, you know, I was really lucky that it didn't go anywhere else. I tell myself that every day, like, oh, the places it went was almost everywhere. But luckily, it didn't make it to my lungs, like, or, you know, anywhere, anywhere else, but not ideal. With preventative screening, this doesn't have to be anybody else's story. Right. It doesn't. And I just, you're telling your story, and I know you've told it so many times at this point, but how are you getting through every day knowing how serious a situation you have? So, you know, and I think you would ask, my reaction and my parents' reaction, my spouse, I actually got, I got married and divorced. I got divorced in 2020, less than a year after finding out I had cancer. Uh, so, you know, my dog, <laughs> he, uh, he took it well. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think for my parents, it's still hard. It, I think, snaps them back to like 1987 when they found out I had CF and then I probably wasn't going to live a long life. And I'm just assuming that's this is what they heard. I don't know for sure. I was too little to remember. But I think any type of like trauma like that literally snaps you back to your last like traumatic event. Um, so I think for them, they were re-traumatized by hearing that I had cancer. And for me, I could then relate to probably what how they felt when they heard I had cystic fibrosis. So while they were like snapped back, you know, in a time machine, to like relive that experience, I was also subsequently living that same experience, right? Because I never heard. I didn't have to hear that initial CF diagnosis. I, I just grew up with it. I knew, you know, that like my life expectancy wasn't as long, but I never had to hear that. I never had to hear that about my child 
or even my life. And I can only imagine that as a parent, how hard that is and how helpless you feel. And I think that's what happens to so many people, your friends, your family, your loved ones feel so helpless and they don't want to see you suffer. And there's nothing that they can do. And I think that's really hard. And I think that makes it hard for people to be present because as people, we want to help each other, and especially our loved ones. And we want to make pain and things go away and, and make it better. Or we wish we could switch places. But like none of that is true. We can't, unfortunately, do anything. The best thing we can do for somebody is to actually be present with them in their pain and acknowledge their pain and recognize that this is hard and it's not fair and it's not okay. Absolutely. And I cannot speak for your parents either, but I can only say as a mom to two girls who have cystic fibrosis that I also think you're on Trikafta. You're thinking, hallelujah, my baby's on Trikafta. She's going to be okay. And then you get this colon cancer diagnosis. There are so many, sadly, so many ways to die from CF, right? It's colon cancer, it's lung transplants, it's pneumonia. I mean, and so you're always have some level of fear. And then you get this horrible diagnosis and it's just very hard. And I'm thankful for you because I think you are changing the face of CF and colon cancer, raising awareness and your spirit's incredible. And I am praying that you will beat the odds and everything. So do you feel that? Do you feel that power of advocacy and everything you're doing? Yeah, I think for me, like your pain has to have a purpose. My last name's pain, but your pain has to have a purpose. I want to touch on something you mentioned about Trikapta. There's been so much grief that I've had to manage my way through. And that was part of it. I thought the same thing. I was like, hallelujah. I finally get to YOLO. I finally get to live my life on my terms. And I'm healthy and I feel great. And I look good. And I'm doing all these things. And like, you know, I'm a local elected official. And I'm trying to climb the political ladder to make a difference. And like, I'm going to be healthy enough to do that. I'm going to be healthy enough to use my vacation time for a vacation instead of for being sick. So it was actually like the grieving process of grieving a life I thought I was going to get to have. And I think that was probably the hardest, maybe part of the hardest part, you know, just kind of seeing that magical dreamland that I thought like I was just touching down into totally disappear and be like, okay, now what? Now what? Um, and I think I had a call with the CF Foundation, maybe not even a week or two after my diagnosis, about the advocacy piece and saying that, yo, you guys need to lower the screening age. This is not sufficient. I'm 34. There's going to be more people like me. I walked around for years and had no idea I had colon cancer. Telling you I'm not the only one. I wish I could say that I was. I wish I could say that I'm just some weird number on your spreadsheet. And it's not going to happen to anybody else. Because believe me, I don't want this to be anybody else's story. I don't. And that's what spurs me to action because I can't fix this. It's too late for me. This is now my life. And I've had to spend a lot of time accepting it. And it hasn't been easy. I found somebody that's 20-something that was diagnosed with stage four. So 30 would be great. But in my opinion, it needs to be like 25. Why not? 
Right. What does it hurt? It's advocacy for yourself. It's saving insurance companies money, if you want to think of it Mm -hmm. in business terms. It's saving money in so many areas of insurance and, and everything else. Where are you at now in your advocacy with the foundation and in general? What are your hopes as far as lowering the age? So I've spoken to folks at the foundation. Some of the feedback that I have gotten from them was less than ideal, uh, in my opinion. But I, you know, I was able to write two blogs for them. One more recently with like a year update of what my life looks like now, trying to manage CF and colon cancer. And, you know, the first one was just really for me about if they're not going to change it, then we have to. We as patients have to change it. If no one's going to throw you the life raft, you have to be your own life raft. And that's something I've learned my whole life, but like has really been echoed over this last year. It's like you have to be your own fierce advocate, even with the doctors. They're going to say, well, it's not recommended. And you say, yeah, but this is my life. And I'm the one that's going to have to do chemo. And I'm the one that's going to have to live trying to figure out how to manage CF and colon cancer. It's not going to be them. It's not going to be their decision for treatment. It's not. It's not. And what does it hurt? Like you said, what does it hurt to get screened? Like the process isn't great. Sure. But it could save your life. Right. If they remove polyps before they become cancerous, you're in way better shape than I ever was in. (laughs) So, you know, for me, it might be my face and my voice. And because it's my story, I'm trying. But it's really about I'm hoping that parents, other CF patients hear my story and it spurs them to have a conversation and advocate for themselves because carriers are more likely as well. CF carriers have a higher risk of developing colon cancer. Mm-hmm. So it's not just about patients. It's about anybody who's a carrier. Exactly. And I just learned that from Emily kramer Golenkoff of, you know, Emily's entourage. I just learned that from her. Um, I, uh, I don't know if it's ironic, but I just had a colonoscopy Monday, had a polyp. They snipped it right off. I'm all good. But um Yeah, a colonoscopy, not a big deal as far as a procedure goes. Honestly, the hardest thing for me is drinking Gatorade and, you know, (laughs) the Miralax with the Gatorade. But um, it should be something everybody can say, oh, it was a little uncomfortable or I couldn't eat for two days, but thank God everything was fine. That's the outcome you want. And my girls are right in that age, 25 and 27. And thanks to you and everyone else's efforts, we're having those conversations. Uh, I just had that conversation with my 25-year-old daughter, and we're going to continue those conversations. And they aren't being told to get a colonoscopy yet. Um, So we are working on that. And I think you're 100% right. It has to be people with CF and their parents, you know, advocating for this because who's going to suffer? Not the person who says, no, I don't think it's a good idea. It's the patient. We can't just keep being reactive to everything when we have the tools to be proactive. We can't keep extending our life expectancies with these medical miracles and then sending the patients off to get colon cancer. That's not helpful. (laughs) That's counterproductive. (laughs) It's not helpful 
And because you and everyone with cystic fibrosis have so many other things to worry about and medicate for, from mental health to your physical health to lung transplants to pick lines to everyday, you know, all of that stuff, I just feel like it isn't a big deal. Mm-hmm. And like we said, it's cost saving for insurance companies. So I don't know what the pushback would be. Right. Or what the justification to say no would be. I'm so expensive now. (laughs) I'm so expensive. I would have been a lot cheaper. (laughs) How expensive? Do you know how expensive you are now? Seriously? No, but um, I can just imagine. Right. But colon cancer and CF, I mean, a healthy person with cystic fibrosis and by healthy, they're still on like $300,000. Right easily of meds per year. Mm-hmm. And usually parents have multiple children with CF. That's more common than not. So we're talking enormous amounts of money if you add on colon cancer or transplant medications, etc. Yeah, I can only imagine I could cost over a half a million dollars a year. Oh, for sure. I'm sure it's more than that. I'm sure. I'm sure it's more than that. You know, that's a low estimate. Um, and then you right. figure I had all that surgery last year. You know, like all that stuff is so expensive. And the insurance company's justification of denying somebody any type of pre-screening, I don't care who it is, CF and or anybody, is asinine in my opinion. Because right. if you catch something early, it's less costly for them as well. Right. Now I have to do chemo every two weeks, no end dates, no breaks. And have all these CF meds and all these doctor appointments and like all the scans, you get scans every three months, they add up. It's now part of my like maintenance, like I'm a car. (laughs) And I just hope that the universe extends my lifetime warranty. Absolutely. But yeah, just the cost savings alone, if you catch something early, should be enough justification for insurance companies to green light somebody getting screened. So You know, like I said, they're finding it in younger and younger people. I think everybody should get screened. (laughs) So it makes sense that somebody with CF, that it would be even lower. Right. And it should be even easier. Absolutely. Because the risk is higher. Now, how are you doing? um, Like, bring us up to date. You talked about a little bit, but as far as your CF routine and your colon cancer routine, how is it going to date? So. You know, I could complain, but I never do Um, because it's not worth it. But I mean, I had a scan at the end of May. I have a scan literally next Friday, the 26th. So everyone cross your fingers Um, or whatever you learn to. And as of, you know, the end of May, the lesions or tumors, whatever terminology you want to use on my liver, were still responding to treatment. So that's good. So my hope is that like maybe... They're either A, still responding or stable, hopefully nothing new. As long as nothing new develops, we're, we're in happy town. But, you know, it's kind of like night and day from where I was a year ago. You know, even having to do chemo every two weeks is definitely daunting for sure. You know, like it's literally a mental game more so. It's like, oh, we start to feel better and then it's back to the chemical bus again. Okay. Um, and just like reconvincing yourself that it's worth it. And like, as much as I personally don't enjoy it and wish that things were different, you're worth it. Your life is worth it. 
You know, like, no, this is not where I wanted to be at 35 years old. This is not the life I thought I would get to live. But for a long time, I didn't even think I'd get to live to 35. So, you know, I'm grateful to even just be at here at 35. And I'm grateful to be able to advocate for the, unfortunately, next generation of problems that we're, you know, going to encounter. And at the, the very bare minimum, that's what I use to convince myself that, like, this is worth it because at the end of the day, like if I can get somebody screened earlier and they can not have to deal with this, I feel like that, you know, in that Christmas tale where it's like the three ghosts from the past, like I'm just one of them being like, go get your butthole checked. Go. You don't want to be me. Go. That's kind of like what keeps me going is like, no, we have to keep doing this because like we have to keep telling our story until there's actual change. And I'm not going to stop. And I, I love that you said butthole. I think we really <laughs> need to make it so much easier to talk about. Right. You know, it's, it talking. I mean, we're used to talking about poop with cystic fibrosis because it helps the nutritionist or the dietitian decide, you know, if your poops are sinking or, or floating, you know, if your enzymes are working, right? Right. So we always talk about, you know, the poop aspect. But I think in general... People don't like talking about it. They don't want to talk mm -hmm. about colonoscopies and, you know, what's the big deal? Um, sometimes it takes like, I don't know, some high profile person who can talk about it and just make it seem normal. But I want you to do a public service announcement, a video one, if you have not already. I did do one with CFRI. Oh, good. I'm going to use theirs. There's like three of them. Yeah, I'll use theirs. We'll put that on our website awesome. and we'll put a link to it in our show notes as well. How are you doing? How's your mental health with all of this? How's that? It's such an op huge question. I know. Like, right. <laughs> um, it honestly depends on the day. Like I just try and like one day at a time. Every day is different. Even now, like, you know, grief still comes in waves. I'd be like lying if I pretended that everything with sunshine and rainbows. So stuff like not, you know, some days it's, it's hard, especially reconvincing yourself every two weeks to go through chemo. You know, I'm on my, more of like a maintenance plan for chemo. Now. Literally, that's what it's called. <laughs> so the side effects aren't as bad as they were when I first started because they've taken like some of the other drugs out of the mix. That's been helpful and beneficial. So I don't feel as crappy, <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. pun intended. Um, right as I, I would in prior months. Uh, but that comes with a whole new set of like anxieties and worries. It's like, okay, well, they took the drugs away. Does that mean the cancer's going to have a party inside me? I have no idea. And I think that's the hardest part is like, I didn't know I had stage four cancer. I would have no idea if it's growing. I would have no idea if it traveled somewhere new. Like it becomes such a part of you. You're literally like you, I had no knowledge. So I think because of that, that also makes it, it harder, right? So like, it's literally like those scams. And then getting a scan is like, I thought like, you know, as CF patients, we deal with a lot of stuff. And like, you know, my one friend, Patrick Nash, uh, who's been also pretty vocal about uh, CF and, and cancer diagnosis is, you know, we're talking one day on the phone and I said, yeah, I think parts of this are easier for us because we are battle tried. There were so many curveballs in the very beginning things that didn't happen to normal patients. I had to take a helicopter ride from one hospital to another to have like an emergency procedure. You know, different tests came back funky because of the CF defect, all these different things. 
curveball galore, um, not normal. And I think that because we are so used to waiting for the other shoe to drop or having to deal with, you know, medical curveballs, I think to some extent that made this cancer journey easier than it probably is for someone who's never had a medical condition. So we're already battle trying and testing. I don't even think our, you know, oncology doctors are even used to that. And like, no one wants to hear bad news. No, but like, I want you to tell me the bad news as soon as possible because I need to know and I will deal with it. I'm not going to go, you know, it's okay. Does anybody want bad news ever? No, but I've grown up with CF my whole life. Not the first time I've heard bad news and probably unfortunately won't be the last time either in reference to my health. So I think just even having that experience of living with cystic fibrosis and growing up at times where they didn't have these amazing medical treatments at first and stuff like that, you know, makes it easier for us to adapt to the nuances of cancer or, you know, whatever. Uh, But that doesn't mean we should have to, right? Right. Just because we have that experience doesn't mean it should have to be put to test. So, you know, mentally, it's still a game I play with myself every two weeks, you know, like just trying to wrap. It took me like three or four months to wrap my head around the fact that like I'm going to have to probably continue doing chemo indefinitely. Uh, That was not something I wanted to hear. You know, I wouldn't say that's good news. Um, Right. But I get to be alive. And like, no, my life isn't all sunshine, rainbows, sparkles and fun stuff all the time. But I still get to make it beautiful on my terms. And that's what's important. I still get to live a purposeful life. It just might not be the life I thought I was going to get to live. But it could even be better. Right? Yes, it will. I am just so inspired by you and your courage and your passion for, you know, everything you're going through and how you're trying to help so many others. And prognosis can change, right? Or the diagnosis kind of. So there's hope still. Yeah. And I think if you look at numbers on the spreadsheet or, you know, I always correlate to that because that seems like how everything happens in this country is numbers on a spreadsheet, unfortunately, and not real people. We're actual people, (laughs) not just data uh, on Excel. But the life expectancy of someone with stage four colon cancer, the odds of them living longer than five years is only 14%. That's it. Wow. And for CF and colon cancer stage four, I'd be lying if I said it wasn't less, but it's less. (laughs) So we can get caught up in those numbers. Sure. But like you can't let that drive your mental health. You can't let that drive you because we're all different. You know, I've learned that my whole life with CF. You know, I've grieved the loss of friends that had CF and I'm still curious, like, okay, well, why am I still here? So in science and medicine's always changing. We're all living examples of that right now. Right. I've experienced that my whole life. You know, my extended warranty has been extended. <laughs> um, so there's always something new coming up. And like now my goal is to just live long enough to experience whatever that new new thing is, you know, and if we find a cure for CF or that'll probably get rid of the colon cancer for a lot, like our risk won't be as high because it's higher because of the genetic defect. Right. If you have double Delta F508, it's even higher. So, you know, that's more than half of the CF population right there. So yeah, you have to hold on to the hope, you know, and sometimes it does feel hopeless. It does. And like, what if this stops working? Then what? 
But like, I try really hard not to get caught up in that. I try to tell myself, but what if it works and everything works out okay? Because that's possible too. Mm-hmm. You know, that's possible too. Where we can put it in show notes as well, but the source of information for people who are looking for more information. I mean, everything is not on the CF Foundation website. There's a limited amount of information on their website. So what's your best advice for getting all the information people need from carriers getting colon cancer to people with CF? I think CFRI also has a lot of information now on their website as well. They do. And we'll get a link to their site as well. I know they're doing great work on this. Thanks to you and them. Yeah, they've been like super helpful. Like I reached out to Siri as soon as I found out that I had cancer and I was like, this is not okay. And what are we going to do about it? Yeah, she's leading the charge. She's doing. Yeah. So I would call it a project of passion for them as well. Right. You know, I literally played round robin calling a bunch of people when I found out, you know, and I was on their adult advisory council. So obviously I wanted to let them know. Um, But, you know, the conversation I had was like, what can we do? And that's kind of like, she's like, well, what do you have energy for? And I was like, I will do whatever. I was like, don't worry about my energy level. This is more important than that. And maybe that's my purpose. I try and tell myself that too. Maybe, unfortunately, somebody with a big mouth (laughs) had to get it. (laughs) And if that's me and that saves other people's lives, then that's a life worth living. We're so grateful for you. And tell us about your political journey and then kind of what you want to do uh, in the future. So I started running for office in 2017. I ran for township auditor and won that race. And then two years later, 2019, I ran for township supervisor and won that as well. My hope and dream was to eventually one day maybe run for Congress in my local uh, area. I wanted to run for some some other things as well, maybe to you know continue to boast my resume. But for me, it's about what I can do to give back because in my opinion, I kind of live on borrowed time. To me, that means I want to do whatever I can to make something better for somebody else. And if that's in the CF space, that's great. Uh, I serve on my rare disease advisory council for the state of Pennsylvania. If that's in that space, then that's great. In my local town, that's great as well. So, you know, I had higher political aspirations. Obviously, cancer was a curveball. (laughs) So, you know, uh, TBD, to be determined what happens next or, or where I go from here. You know, for now, I'm just trying to like focus on my new normal and figuring out how that fits into my goals and my dreams and my lifestyle and how I can kind of pivot and adjust to make sure that I am living a longer life. You know, it's stressful to run for office. It's a lot of work. It takes a good part of a year to do it and, you know, be successful. It, t- it takes a lot of work. You know, a lot of doors have to be knocked. A lot of face-to-face interactions with individuals with obviously with COVID going around. That's not ideal for me right now either. Um, And going through cancer treatment. I'm out of commission maybe like eight days of the month. So sure, there's like another 20-some that I'm feeling okay. But I get tired easier than I used to, obviously. So it's just about figuring out if how that would fit into my life. And would I be able to do all of the things I need to do necessary to run for something different. And as of right now, I'm just trying to enjoy being my township supervisor, learning as much as I can, and figuring out how to juggle 
all the balls uh, in the air at the same time. Well, I say that you're an inspiration. I say it with love because I, I think my intention isn't to put so much pressure on you. You are an inspiration. Oh, thank you. But I also know that there is struggle and that when you're not talking on a podcast or you're not talking in front of people, you know, it's hard. So just know that we're all around you and just keep shining your light because uh, I'm so glad you're speaking out about this and I'm thankful for all that you're doing. What are um, some of the other sides to Anna Payne? Um, so I love Dwayne Johnson, um, as that's pretty public. <laughs> um, he's the, my rock, he's the rock, but he's, uh, super inspiring, uh, to me and he brings me a lot of joy and uh, I was lucky enough to get like a personal heist video from him, uh, like about a year ago, a friend of mine was able to get in touch with his production company, I believe it was, and uh, write a letter and he made me a, a video and I I watched that video a lot actually because he says he loves me and I think that's like just important for me to like hear every day that like Drake Johnson said he loved me. Absolutely. So like my life is really complete. I really don't know what else I, other boxes I need to check off, but you know, uh, so I, you know, I love my dog. I love animals. I love comedians. And like, I've spent a lot of time like watching a lot of like standups to like, I think laughter is super important. Hugs are important. Reaching out and listening is important. And, you know, I work two jobs, essentially. I work a daytime job for uh, county government. And I love my job. I get to, you know, help residents with issues. I get to learn about how government can be helpful uh, to individuals. That's my daytime job. And then my night job, as if a like Batwoman or something, um, I would say my part-time job is working, you know, for the township for those residents as well. And I'm working on starting my own uh, CF nonprofit. We're having our first event in like less than 30 days. Um, and I'm hoping to be able to, you know, this wasn't the original intent of it, but like this has now become more of the intent is to uh, financially support other CF nonprofits that are raising awareness in the colon cancer space and trying to kind of form like a, a group effort to make those changes that need to be made. And those are really like my passions in life is just trying to make something better for somebody else. But, you know, I love a good dirty joke. I love some rap music. Um, you know, I love my dog and, you know, animals and, you know, just kind of like spending time in nature a little bit. And that's become more recent, like just kind of just to be grounding and just it's yes. cool to kind of just be present in something instead of like sitting here thinking about the million things you have to do, or did you check all the boxes off today? It's just kind of like, hey, just admire your space and like what's happening around you right now. It's okay to take pressure off yourself. You know, you don't have to hit it out of the park every day. Sometimes it's okay to just show up at the park. Absolutely. Great advice. And um, you're fantastic. We're going to put all of this information that you've been talking about in the show notes so that people can get a hold of you find out about your nonprofit that's coming up, your events, all of that. So thank you for sharing your story and being so open. And we'll be talking in the future and watching everything that you're doing and how you're raising awareness about cystic fibrosis and colon cancer. So thank you. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. It's been a blast. And if anyone 
you know, wants to reach out to me directly, that's totally cool. If somebody finds out, you know, people are unfortunately finding out they have cancer and they'll maybe know who to talk to, I'd be more happy to be in here to bend and hold space. That's the most important part. It's just, just hold space. That is wonderful and very generous. It's therapy and it is rewarding when you hear from other people who are going through the same thing. It does help us all, right? I always say that with my foundation. I mean, look, I got to meet you. So I always learn something from someone else and you always feel stronger after you've connected Mm -hmm. with someone. Yeah. And I think it's important that we don't feel alone. Like CF was, it's become less isolating now because of social media, but you know, prior to social media, you know, it was a very isolating disease. It still can be because not a lot of people know what it's like. And I think we get to craft that CS story for the outside world to make it easier for other people to digest that we have CS. But there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes that patients don't talk about and folks don't see. So I think when you get, you know, a cancer diagnosis and you have CF, it's even more isolating because it's like that's even less people that understand what you're going through. So if I could be you know, help someone feel less alone. That's important too. Thank you, Anna. Thank you. The original music in this podcast is performed by Kevin Allen. It's not complicated. Who happens to have cystic fibrosis. We all got our worries and fears. I know what's got you frustrated. But loving you is so all right. This has been the Living with Cystic Fibrosis podcast. For more information and to learn more about the Bonnell Foundation, visit our website at thebonnellfoundation.org. That's the B-O-N-N-E-L-L foundation.org. This podcast was sponsored by Beatrice and Genentech. It was produced by Jag and Detroit Podcasts. Follow our show in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now.